You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. You're listening to Let's Talk About Auditions, a new miniseries from The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. Welcome, I'm Mo Brady. Welcome to a new miniseries from The Ensemblist, where we sit down with folks on the other side of the casting table to ask them about what they're really looking for in a Broadway ensemble. As performers, we hear time and again that the folks casting shows want auditioners to succeed. But what does that success actually look like? Spencer Liff began his Broadway career as a dancer, performing in the original companies of Big, The Wedding Singer, and Crybaby. But for the last 10 years, Liff has worked on the other side of the table, creating staging for both stage and screen. He's an Emmy nominee for his work on So You Think You Can Dance, where he has been a resident choreographer for a decade. Back on Broadway, he's created staging for Hedwig and the Angry Inch, Spring Awakening, Falsettos, and Head Over Heels. I was recently able to speak to him on a short trip to New York, where he was here casting a new workshop of Reefer Madness. Here's our conversation. Introduce yourself and I guess tell us your Broadway choreography credits. All right. My name is Spencer Liff and I have choreographed four shows on Broadway, starting with Hedwig and the Angry Inch and then the revival of Spring Awakening, the Death West version that was in sign language. And then I did the revival of Falsettos. And uh, then my first original Broadway show as a choreographer was Head Over Heels this season. And you're in New York right now casting... I am in New York at this very moment in the middle of casting uh, Reefer Madness, the the new relaunched 20th anniversary production of Reefer Madness. We are doing a production this fall in a workshop, like a good proper workshop under that new contract that uh, was just sort of fought for and agreed upon. Um, and we're doing that this summer. The first Broadway ensemble you ever cast was Spring Awakening. Then your next Big Broadway ensemble. I mean, big is relative, but Head Over Heels, right? And that's eight people? Head Over Heels was truly my first time to cast and craft, you know, a Broadway ensemble of dancers, triple threats, start from scratch. And, you know, I'd been with the show when we were just doing readings up at Vassar. And then I got to really prove my myself as a choreographer and make my mark on what I thought the show could be with our workshop that we did now I guess three years ago. That was my moment to show Michael Mayer and show the producers why the show needed to dance, how it could dance, and why they needed to let me cast like true rock star dancers. Uh, you know, when the show was at Oregon Shake, it had a different life with a different creative team entirely, and they scrapped that and started over. And the show really didn't move. It was a singer show. And I, I knew instantly when reading it on the page that the dance could offer so much in terms of landscape and world shaping and that ensemble could add so much fabulousness to the heart of that show. And so I fought really hard and I 
killed myself finding really great dancers and what, what is fought really hard well uh, you know look like uh, crafting an ensemble is when you're at the casting table you have to like throw a stake down into you know and say i need this i need these people and it is a, a polite battle between the music director the director the choreographer in, in those early stages, they said, let's not worry about covering yet. Like, we'll just give you these eight people. Tom Kitt graciously said, I learned what I needed to from the last reading we did at Vassar. He said, I will, why don't you learn what you need to in the workshop? Oh my God. And, <laughs> and cast the dancers that you want. And that was incredibly kind of him because he, he said, like, I know what I need to know. Like, we don't have to have the best voices in the world, but like, why don't you, why don't you have some killer dancers? We ended up with people that really could do both, but his, his willingness to let me do that, that that allowed me to create what the dance was in that show in those four weeks. And then, you know, the producers, the directors, they couldn't imagine the show without the dancing like that. It wasn't like we were going to take a step backwards to then add voices and covers, etc. It just meant that we then really had to find people uh, for the production that could do all those things. And we saw 600 plus dancers for those eight tracks and then two swing tracks. Carnahan cast it. They, you know, he's a great office there. Um, and they stuck with me call after call after call until we found what we, what we needed. And what did you need? We needed these like unicorns that could kick their face and dance. And not only like a Broadway style dancing, I was like doing voguing and pop and locking and, and, you know, tutting and, triple pirouettes and kick your face to dance like that with this very queer aesthetic and this unique personality then you had to sing this insanely hard rock score mm -hmm. the singing was not easy in that show and then all of our ensemble had to cover people like bonnie milligan <laughs> and you know taylor and Sosha. you know these are not easy roles they have to act on shakespeare text they have to sing this incredibly hard show um and we knew that like they'd have to be going on there wasn't there wasn't a singer ensemble that was there to cover those people it had to be the eight dancers and so we, you know, we kept pushing and we kept trying and we found incredible swing dance captains that covered the leads as well. And like the very last piece was uh, this girl named Amber Ardolino. Mm -hmm. she was She's been on, on the podcast recently. Yeah. So Amber, you might hate this story <laughs> because <laughs> I, after seeing 600 dancers, I needed one last tall leggy girl who could sing her face off and cover. I kept uh, asking her to come in and she could never come in. And there was a girl already cast, Samantha Polino, and they had been in Hamilton, Chicago together. And Samantha kept like saying, I, there's this girl that's like, great, she would fit it, she'd be great. Samantha went to Chicago and like taught her the audition combo. And they did it in like, the gym of their building they lived in in Chicago. And she sent in the tape. And I'm like, damn, this girl is good. But she just couldn't get in the room ever for any of our calls. And we did the very last call you know, 15 auditions later, just for this one last girl spot that had to sort of tick all these boxes. And at the end of the day, the girl wasn't in the room. And I said, you know what, there's this girl who sent in a tape. And we opened it up on the laptop and we watched it the whole team and the whole team went, okay, hire that girl. So after seeing <laughs> 600 people and some of these poor dancers came in so many times, the girl who never actually came in the room got the job. Sometimes it works like that. And she came in and she was hands down, like, you know, one of everybody's favorites. Everybody who saw the show was like, that girl in the yellow tights with the legs. I'm like, yeah, I hired her off a tape. How many of the eight were part of that workshop you did? Only two. And it wasn't because we didn't want a lot of our workshop people back. They were just all really talented and booked. <laughs> um, you know, 
Demarius went into Mean Girls. Oh yeah, you know Nina LaFarga was in the original, and she went off into Frozen. Jenny LaRoche went off into Donna Summer. Like they all, they all got shows because we were about a year from our workshop. We didn't have a theater. We didn't have a space. We were like had this great workshop, and then we're in that pile of shows waiting for the will we get a theater? And by the time it happened, a whole year had passed, and you know people go. Some of my favorites were Ari Groover was one of the original yeah. dancers, and she was a huge inspiration to me. She had been a student of mine in Broadway Dreams. I'd known her since she was 17. She walked in the room and just instantly like grabbed everyone. She was the one Michael Mayer said to me, you can hire anyone you want, but you have to hire that girl. And I like secretly was like, okay, like I freaking love her. I've known her forever. Happy to hire that girl for you, Michael. Um, and in the workshop, like her movement style opened up my mind of, you know, I thought I wanted all these tall, leggy, kick-your-face technical girls, and Ari has such a different vibe going on about her. Right. And she pulled the style, like, into that world and became a muse, almost, for a lot of that movement. So she luckily stuck around, and I had created this world, these, like, twin tracks for her and Demarius originally, and when Demarius couldn't do it, Justin Prescott stepped in, and they became the twins, and that flourished in that, you know, in that moment. But is there a unifying quality that makes someone want a good ensemble member or is it really show to show it has to be show to show um i think certain creators are drawn to certain people i am just super into unique people i am less drawn uh to to like a cookie cutter look i think nowadays on broadway anyway the diversity is going crazy in such a good way and whereas before if you had like 12 girls like 10 of them would be like perfect beautiful white girls and then you would have like one african-american track and you know one of of another race maybe if you're talking about like these classic shows and now that is just so not the case anymore and what i'm most drawn to i think is is just confidence in the room in all of the aspects like confidence and uniqueness in their dance audition and then they can walk in the room and be able to pull off their song at whatever level their voice is and charm the room and you know that that quality you can show in an audition that comfortable, confident quality is what gives me faith that I could trust you with whatever I had to throw you. If I'm changing something last second, the you know, night of the final preview that you're going to just do it. Does it really matter what you wear to an audition? Yes, for me. <laughs> we, uh, it's funny, I was thinking about that. I am kind of a, I'm into fashion anyway. Look good in, uh, in an audition. I am super into show shoes. I will always ask if you wear like a great pair of show shoes. It will, I will, I can't help. Like you can tell, you know, their cute custom T.O. Day shoe or like their colored Leduca or whatever, their can-can boot from something. Um, It's like a little pop of color. It's a, you know, it's a thing. I think you should do a little research on what the show is and just have a tiny brushstroke of that vibe in your look. It's not to say that I can't imagine you not in that, but it's not you know, harmful for you to come in. And if I'm casting 1930s sort of pinup girl looks like, look like that. Don't come in in a grungy, gothy LA 90s look like you're just doing yourself a disservice already and me trying to see you as something that would be in the show. You mentioned the sort of like battle that can happen on the casting table between departments. Is that the hardest part of casting a musical is the compromise and the collaboration to make sure that everybody gets what they need from an ensemble? It is a, it's a difficult thing to do, especially if you don't know the team very well. Like I, I actually met, you know, this director 
at 9.55 a.m., you know, we'd had phone conversations and like, boom, at 10 a.m., we got people coming in. So we're like figuring each other out and like figuring out how we gel. Are our tastes the same? Do we let, you know, everybody wants their part of the show to flourish and be great. So of course, the music director is fighting for, he needs to cover the alto part and the soprano part and he needs his tenor and like, he knows what he needs. And then I'm thinking for me to be able to create something great, I need a lot of versatility. I need technique. I need, there are so many different styles in Reefer Madness. I'm looking for contemporary dancers and people that can do like swing and lindy hop and do tap dancing and do like it's kind of crazy all the things I need and those people also all have to cover the leads very difficult lead parts and that means acting on text in a very stylized way and so you know you start to cast a wide net and you just have to narrow down as you go along until you get to the final day of of callbacks we'll lay everybody's pictures out on the floor and everyone just starts to point to their favorite people and it becomes a hopefully friendly it's often a friendly negotiation of that girl's a great voice and she doesn't dance that well but i will take her if you let me have this person who is a fierce dancer and work with her voice because if i'm going to spend all the extra time you know getting her to dance up to the par of what i need for these production numbers then you can spend a little extra time working with this girl on her voice (laughs) and if that trade is willing to sort of happen then it is it's like i would say it's like trading baseball cards i understand that now being on the other side of it i was a fantastic dancer and not a great singer and i now know like every time i walked into a room that choreographer the rob ashford or somebody had to like trade me for somebody (laughs) to get me to get me in the show I, i want the dancers to know uh that it's not personal there's so many great dancers that come in i've had people that have worked with me so many times and they come in the room and they just don't have what we need for this particular show. The music director says, they can't sing it. I can't work with that. And I got to go, okay, I'm not going to fight you on it. Like it's not for this show. And you know, you think like, God, I hope they don't. They, they realize that it's not because I didn't like them. It's not because they're not great. It just doesn't fit the puzzle piece. Like for reefer madness, you've got tap dancing and Lindy hop and backup. So is the ideal person like a six out of 10 at all of those things or a 10 out of 10 at one of those things and a four at everything else? It's a great question because you don't want this like middle of the road person. Like you don't want somebody that's just a five at everything because then you have people who aren't great at anything. <laughs> no, the ideal is that you have somebody that's hitting an eight or nine in every category. Um, but let's say like somebody is a 10 and everything but literally can't tap dance at all guess what you're not in the tap number like i'll figure out how to work around that you know if it's especially if i'm crafting now a show this is a revival what we're doing like you know a big reimagine of it and i get to put my own mark on it and you know it might be that i get somebody who on their resume is is an incredible tango dancer damn straight i'll find a place to put that in there or like great acro or whatever it is the greatest thing you can have as a performer is just to have a giant bag of tricks to pull from uh because it just gives options i you know i look down and i'm like hmm fire eating all right i will figure out how we could put that in the show all the little boxes you can you can check off the better let's say somebody's coming in tomorrow to audition for you what's one thing you really wish they knew that i want nothing more than for them to be amazing I think it feels so often when you come in a room that like you're trying to prove yourself, you're trying to like, like you're up against this wall of faces just staring at you and judging you. I'm just dying for this killer unicorn to walk in the room. Everybody that comes in, all I want is for you to be great and succeed and have a great audition and be the person I'm looking for and tick all the boxes. And and I think it's a really hard thing to grasp on the other side of it, but I think that's 
part of what could give somebody that ability to just be calm and be be themselves and be authentic and come in and and show what they've got and that it's exactly what I'm looking for and like have that little quality that is just saying you've been waiting for me to walk in this room and here I am and you know I dare you not to cast me that's what that's what I look for so I think as as people continue to audition and take the the hits of not getting it and, and you know all the things that come with this sometimes very hard business um keeping the dream in your head that like you are going to walk in that room and that part is waiting for you and you're going to be the answer to exactly what somebody needs at some point and that'll be your moment Special thanks to Spencer Liff for sharing his stories with us this week. You can learn more about him and how to connect with him online by visiting our website, theensemblist.com. The Ensemblist was produced today by me, Mo Brady. You can help others find out about The Ensemblist by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Super easy to do, guys, and it really does mean a lot. You can also follow us on Instagram to see the latest posts on our website where we are sharing the stories of talented artists working in Broadway ensembles. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.